Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. When Shopify says you can sell anywhere, oh, they mean it. Woo, hold up. Just got a new sale, order fulfilled, and shipped. Inventory level's good. Whoa, Shopify doesn't mind if you're at sea level. Or on top of the world! Ah, you can run and grow your business anywhere. Climbing mountains is never easy, but at least Shopify gives me all the tools I need for my business to hit new beats. Whether you're selling carabiners or crop tops, start selling with Shopify today and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. We've built the platform so you can keep climbing and grow your business to new heights. With Shopify, you really can sell to anyone from anywhere. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free22. Shopify.com slash free22. Shopify.com slash free22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or seafloors. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. Welcome back, MD Nation. It's good to be back. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater of the MD's Fantasy Football Show. We're streaming to you live on social media at BellyUpMDFF Show. And of course, live to you on YouTube. Subscribe to the MD's Fantasy Football Show channel when you get the chance. I know I wasn't around Saturday night for the MD's DFS contest. I want to big a big thank you to Chris and Chaz Filardi, who stepped in and covered for me and got you guys some bets of the week. They, met, they forgot to make one announcement, though. Uh, Emily MCAT. Emily MCAT was the winner of the September giveaway of the championshipfootballs.com. Now remember, when you whip, when you play that contest, you're a weekly winner. You will automatically win Easy Sports data sheet if you win the contest for the week. But there's a monthly giveaway too, where you put your name in a raffle 
of the eligible winners. And we pick at the end of the month who gets to win the championship football from championshipfootballs.com from Mr. Chaz Florida. That will be Emily MCAT. We will be sending you a DM shortly with the email you need to contact. So that way you can get your big prize. So I just wanted to come out the show and announce that right away because I forgot to do that on Saturday. But that's not what we're here to talk about. It's Monday night. You know what that means. That means we are here to talk about the Sunday afternoon week four recap tomorrow on Tuesday. Now, like I said, we're starting to get we're starting to get a new schedule together starting this week, not fully this week, fully implemented next week, but starting to get it together this week. Tomorrow on Tuesday from 12 to 1, lunchtime hour, we're going to call it, lunchtime waiver wire hour. It'll be the Sunday night, the Monday night recaps, and the waiver wire report from 12 to 1 on Tuesday. This week stays the same as far as Thursday and Friday goes. We're usually on from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. We will be on those times this week to preview the Thursday night game, the early Sunday games. We actually got a London game coming up this week. And, of course, do Thursday night recap with the late Sunday matchups. Or the late, or I should say, the complete late, late week five matchups because we got the Sunday night and the Monday night game. We'll talk about that too. But we'll be right back again on Friday night. We're gonna be actually going to be doing two episodes on Friday. So double the fun this Friday on NBC football show Friday night. We'll be back with the NBC FS contest because that's going to be the new schedule for that show moving forward. The following week, Monday through Friday, we'll be here at this time doing the week recap, the Sunday afternoon recap Tuesday from 12 to one on the Sunday night, Monday night recap with the waiver wire report. And then we'll be back. We're going to come back on a Wednesday night. We've actually never streamed on Wednesday night before. We are going to stream on Wednesday night starting next week with Thursday night preview and the early Sunday afternoon games. Then Thursday night, we're going to come back while the Thursday night game is on. We're going to preview the late afternoon games, the rest of week or whatever rest of whatever the week is late Sunday afternoon games, Sunday night game and the Monday night game, whatever week it is. And it'll be with a Thursday night game cast. Cause we're going to have that show on while the Thursday night game is going on. So if there's a big play, an injury, a score, I'm going to react to it. And I'm pretty sure Chris is going to be doing that show with us too because Chris is going to be on the show a little bit more often as well. Another extra treat. But that's how we're going to do it. We're not going to totally recap the Thursday night game. Big injuries happen. We'll keep you up to date on social media at Billy of MDFF show. And then, of course, Friday night, we come back. We'll have the MD's DFS contest with Chaz Flory coming on to give you your weekend bets of the week. And what's going to be nice about that is it won't be just about the NFL because it'll be on Friday night. We'll actually talk about some of the college games too. And how you can win some money on those games, which is also up Chaz Florida's uh, alley, up, up his Easy Sports Data alley. So multi- more things to come. I'm excited for the new schedule to come. I know it's a lot. Just make sure you follow us on social media at BellyMDFF Show. We'll take it step by step, day by day. You'll know exactly when content is coming out, and we're going to be here to give you guys the edge in MD Nation. Now you have all that out the way, and I'll have to announce that you know again and again and again, unfortunately. But I want to get into, we have a lot to talk about. I want to get into this weekly recap, week four Sunday afternoon recap. I want to kick it off with the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Green Bay Packers. A game that the score-wise was a lot closer than what this game was. It finishes up, Packers win 27-17. Expect them to win in Green Bay. This game wasn't actually that close, though. Uh, the Packers were never in danger of losing this game. It was never, it was never even a thought process. The Steelers offense. Yeah. I mean, look, I'll give him this. Matt Kanata came out and he said earlier in the week that they were going to continue doing what they have been doing. 
And uh, unfortunately for the Pittsburgh Steelers, that's exactly what they did. They came out and get you to do exactly what they've been doing, which is running a very vanilla, putrid offense. Look, I get it. Ben Roethlisberger looks like he no longer has the ability to even turn his body around to hand the ball off. So you have to go shotgun. You have to go quick passing game if Ben Roethlisberger is going to continue to be the starting quarterback. Fine. That doesn't mean you can't motion. It doesn't mean you can't line up your players in different strategic positions on the field, try to get them better mismatches, put them in better positions to succeed, get them on the flank, take some shots once in a while, implement play action off the shotgun formation. You can still do that. What about pistol? If Ben Roster can't do five and seven stop drop backs anymore, can he at least turn around and do a pistol formation? Can you run it out of that, play action off of that? Get creative. I'm not even a Steelers fan, and I'm upset by what I'm seeing. It cannot be the same thing over and over and over again from what we saw last year. It cannot be Ben in shotgun in three or four receiver sets with no chance to run behind that putrid offensive line, no movement whatsoever, nothing for the defense to react to. This is not a good Green Bay Packers defense, who, by the way, lost Jerry Alexander in this game. So they, it's a bad defense that got worse, and yet this offense still never looked like it was within striking distance of making this game interesting. Never. I mean, they had the lead score, I guess, the first quarter, 7 nothing. Great. You knew that was going to go away eventually. So from that standpoint, it's been horrible. And I do think, from an NFL standpoint, from a Pittsburgh Steelers standpoint, it's time to think about benching Ben Roethlisberger. You go 1-4, 1-5, let's say. You're not a playoff team in this division. You got the Ravens and the Browns you got to worry about, plus the rest of the AFC is competitive. You're not getting a wild card. So Roethlisberger serves no purpose. Now, I'm not saying bench him for Mason Rudolph, but I'd like to see what Dwayne Haskins has in this offense. Give him a shot. Maybe he'll do something differently. Maybe he'll run under center a little bit often. Something. Anything. That's where I would be at. I would actually contemplate benching Ben Roethlisberger. Now, from a fantasy standpoint... While it's annoying to watch Pittsburgh Steelers, it is very simple and easy to predict where the fantasy numbers are going to go. Najee Harris just continues to be an RB1 due to pure volume and the fact that he will find the end zone from time to time. He does in this game. 15 carries, 62 yards, 4 yards a carry. That's actually, you know, <laughs> I'll take that all day, every day, considering his offensive line, even though it was against a putrid Green Bay Packer run defense, and he gets the rushing touchdown. Any tax on six receptions on seven targets for 29 yards. So the volume will always be there for Harris. You're good there. Deontay Johnson came back, showed that he's fully healthy. That's the good news. 13 targets, nine receptions, 92 yards. He had the 45-yard touchdown to start off the game. You're very happy with Deontay Johnson. He continues to be the wide receiver one. When Chase Claypool comes back, he'll eat into some targets, but he doesn't really eat into Deontay's targets. He eats more into James Washington and Juju Smith-Schuster. Schuster, by the way, Definitely was not 100% going into this game. Gets a little bit roughed up in this game, but still sees eight targets, two receptions, 11 yards. Absolutely putrid. He's still a wide receiver three in my book. He played two more snaps than Deontay did. He still had seven targets. Ultimately, you'll take that kind of level production. It just didn't, tra- it just didn't transpire in anything. That's plain and simple. It just didn't transpire in anything. He's not a big play guy. He doesn't have a high ceiling. You, When you play Schuster, you're playing him in half point and full point PPRs as a wide receiver three who has a floor play. You continue to do that. 
The only guy I'm confident in playing every single week as far as receivers go is going to be Deontay Johnson. Outside of that, I, you have to know it's going to be a crapshoot. It's going to be a crapshoot when Chase Claypool's out there because Ben doesn't throw it deep anymore. It's a crapshoot when Juju Smith-Schuster's out there because he's not particularly effective all the time. Deontay's the only one where you know you're getting double-digit targets. He's getting production one way or another. Nothing. So from a fantasy standpoint, nothing changes. Nothing changes on this team. It's just, it's really hard to watch from an NFL standpoint. Now the Green Bay Packers side of the ball, you could say something similar. I know for, you know, Rodgers has not been lighting it up from a fantasy standpoint. Hasn't had to yet. That defense is bad. They're going to be in more competitive games against better teams down the road where Aaron Rodgers will have to light it up and be the fantasy stud that he is. So I'm not worried about Rodgers being a consistent, you know, is this Rodgers of last year? No, but we knew that. We knew that going into this season. We knew he was not going to throw for 48 touchdowns again. You knew that going in. I warned you time and time again, regression was coming. He's still a top 10 quarterback, so don't worry about it. On a consistent basis, you're never benching Aaron Rodgers. I don't think anybody is, but fantasy-wise, it's been a little uneven. Same thing goes to Devontae Adams. Six receptions, 64 yards on 11 targets. I know this particular game, Randall Cobb wound up with two touchdowns. Some people have been talking about Randall Cobb as a pickup because, you know, Marcus Valdez-Scantling goes to IR. Rodgers volleyed to have Cobb sent to the team. Now he's going to finally get to play with Scantling on the IR. Cobb's not a pickup. I'm going to be a spoiler. I know the waiver wire report show is not going to be till tomorrow. Spoiler, Randall Cobb's not going to be on my list because I'm not going to waste MD Nation's time. Adam's the only pass catcher you care about. And Robert Tanyan, he had seven targets in this game. So I'm not going to totally throw him by the wayside like a lot of people are. He's he's in that territory of that top, you know, that, that tight end 10 to tight end 18. He's just going to be in that streaming territory every single week. And he has a week where he scores... Guess what? He's going to finish in the top 12. The fact that he had six and seven targets in this game, the fact that he had 32 routes run, which was the third most on the team total, you're involved enough where he's not going to just leave my radar because that's just, unfortunately, that's where we are when it comes to tight ends as we are every single year as we try to fill at the back end of that. So it doesn't change. It doesn't change from that standpoint. Let's talk about what everybody is trying to guess, which is the A.J. Dillon, Aaron Jones situation. Both came out with 15 carries. A.J. Dillon was great on the ground. because This is still a good Pittsburgh defense. All the wolves in their offense, the defense is still good. 5.4 yards a carry. He was impressive. They looked like they really couldn't tackle him that much. And he was much more efficient than Aaron Jones with 3.2 yards a carry. Of course, Aaron Jones is still dominating the passing work. Gets the reception, 51 yards on four targets. Comes away with an okay fantasy day. Not great, okay, but still an RB1 moving forward. You're not worried about that. And if you're an Aaron Jones owner, you're worried about A.J. Dillon cutting into his workload on a weekly basis. Don't be. This was just the game flow. They were up big, like I said before. The score was a lot closer than the actual game was. There was never any doubt. A.J. Dillon getting the majority of his carries in the fourth quarter. Had a few carries. When it was a neutral game script... In the first half, he had four carries. Aaron Jones still played more than double the snaps, even with all that. This was not an indication to me that a that AJ Dillon is now going to be the guy, or is going to be mixed in as one of you know as a one A one B as far as the carry department goes. This was not the beginning of that. 
This was pure game script and the fact that Dylan was having some success. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. I'm not looking for this to be a committee backfield, you know, heading into week five. So don't worry about it from that aspect of it. Let's move into our next matchup because nothing else to really discuss there. Let's go to Denver and Baltimore. So first thing off the bat, Teddy Bridgewater, he's in a concussion protocol. We'll hopefully find out something this week. We kind of know how this goes by now. At least we should. If the player is able to practice on a Wednesday, he's on the right path to being able to suit up that week. If he doesn't, and then he's unable again to practice on Thursday. Right there on Thursday, you could pretty much say, Sayonara, you're not going to play this week. So that's what we're looking for. We're looking for participation on Wednesday, at least by Thursday. If not, count on Drew Locke to play in that scenario. If Drew Locke plays, I think you play Noah Fant because you have no better option. Everybody else, low, low bar, low floor. Because Drew Locke is terrible. Is ter- absolutely terrible. Proved it once again why he's terrible on Sunday against the Baltimore Ravens. We'll see exactly what happens. Hopefully Teddy Bridgewater is able to suit up. That way guys like Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick can be played with some confidence. I mean, outside of Noah Fant, and that's because he's a tight end. In this game, he saw 10 targets. He was Drew Locke's favorite target when he came into the game. Six catches, 46 yards, and a touchdown. Plus, you probably don't have a better option to play at tight end. That's the only reason why you continue to play him. The running backs, they continue to be RB3s no matter who the quarterback is. I'd have to think, being how good this defense legitimately is. And I know that the Ravens wound up winning this game 23-7, to but make no mistake, their defense did play well in this game. They're probably going to try to lean on those running backs. So they, they say RB3s in my book, whether it's Teddy Bridgewater or Drew Locke. It's just a RB3 matchup based dependent upon, you know, whether or not you want to play either one of them. But there's they're still splitting the backfield. This, that hasn't changed between Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams. Both were efficient in this game. Gordon had nine carries, 56 yards, 6.2 yards a carry. Javante Williams, seven carries, 48 yards, 6.9 yards a carry. So they're both efficient. Melvin Gordon still plays a little bit ahead of Javante Williams, but still pretty evenly in the passing game as well. Until an injury happens or if Javante Williams runs away with this, which I don't know that he will at any point because Melvin Gordon looks pretty good to me actually physically out there. This will continue to be a, a, a two-man backfield with Melvin Gordon actually having a little bit of a slight edge in my rankings each week. But it'll be matchup based depending upon whether or not you want to play these guys in your flex. Or if they have to be, you know, the bye weeks coming up, are they spot RB2s? That's what you're looking at there. I want to say Javante Williams takes over at some point, but I do think at this point it's going to take a Melvin Gordon injury because Melvin Gordon physically has looked very good through the first few weeks, and they're keeping each other fresh. And I don't think Javante Williams is going to look like he's massively better than Melvin Gordon at any point this season unless he gets hurt. So maybe Williams doesn't want to be in the league winner. We all hope and thought he would, but so long season, Gordon does have an injury history. And once this becomes the Javante Williams show, and he's able to show what he can do as a workhorse, because I do believe he's a rhythm runner who needs more than the touches he's getting to show what he can really be. 
Maybe Melvin Gordon doesn't get his role back. It's potential. I think it's still in the favor of Javante Williams taking over. I think there's no shot Melvin Gordon ever takes over this backfield. But as long as it remains a 50-50 split, the slight edge is actually going to go towards Gordon. But they're both RB3s at the end of the day, no matter what's going on. On the Ravens side of the ball, this is where things get fun. Tyson Williams, despite being clearly the most explosive running back, despite being the best running back, and it's it not even being close compared to what else they have left in the roster, I guess because he fumbled in week three at the end of the game, and they're blaming him for that loss, or at least having a role in it, I suppose, or in that almost loss, I should say, against the Detroit Lions. They decided they're going to go to Latavius Murray. Now, for whatever reason, Harbaugh and the Ravens have made it clear from the get-go that they seem to have a love affair with Latavius Murray since they brought him in. They're plain and simple. They've been touting him as the style of runner he is, how it fits their system really well. He was barely in the building two days, and he got you know 10 carries his very first game as a Raven. They've made it clear they like Latavius Murray, even though he's inefficient. He hasn't been good, doesn't look good, doesn't seem to matter. Gets 18 carries in this game. If you have a Baltimore Raven running back getting 18 carries, I mean, in any other situation, you would kill. You would kill to have that player on your team. So as a result, he's got to be rostered. I'm not excited about it. 3.3 yards a carry. That was a good Denver Bronco defense. I don't want to just put that to the side. This is a very good Denver Bronco defense, especially against the run. I don't know too many runners who will be efficient against this team. But Latavius Murray hasn't been efficient no matter who he's played so far this season. And it hasn't, it hasn't mattered. Whether it's Detroit or Denver, it's still it's three yards to carry. You're hoping he falls in the end zone. He happened to do that in this game. What you're watching here is what happens next week. Are you going to, need to continue to roll out with the running back all-stars from 2015? Or are you going to actually give your best running back on the roster, Tyson Williams, back on the active list? That's going to be the question. I think regardless, Latavius Murray is the only running back in the Baltimore Ravens backfield you can trust as of this moment, which is just a shame, but it's true. Devonta Freeman had one carry in this game. He's, he's, he's toast. He's done. And I, I can't understand why. You can't tell me that Tyson Williams has to be inactive because he doesn't play special teams. Devonta Freeman and Le'Ve- Le'Veon Bell don't play special teams. And Devonta Freeman especially looks like he has no role in this offense anyway. So I, I just don't get it. I don't get it. I My anticipation is that Tyson Williams will be active next week. But he'll be ha- he'll have to be ranked behind Latavius Murray. They seem to have a confidence and a love for Latavius Murray. And they're willing to give him the work share this week. I mean, even though Le'Veon Bell was the only running back to get a target, Latavius Murray actually still ran more routes than he did, believe it or not. I know Bell played more in the third down situations, but here's the thing about the Ravens offense. I mean, they're not in a lot of third and long situations to begin with. That's always kind of why the running backs, besides not being a high volume passing attack, it's always why the running backs have always kind of suffer when it comes to that department because they're not usually in situations where they have to dump the ball down in a third and long or a two minute drill. They're still running the football. They're still in third and shorts for the most part. It's just the way their offense functions. So that the backfield's a mess. Latavius Murray is the only one you can roster. I don't know how good you're going to feel about playing him, but he's the only one you can play right now. And we're going to have to wait and see what happens in week five to figure out what to even do with Tyson Williams. In the meantime, I don't know if I can drop him. 
I thought I was going to hit the dump button on him. I'm deciding right now on the fly not to. And the reason is this, because when you think about it, when you think about Devonta Freeman and Le'Veon Bell and what they look like and what their involvement was, I just don't see a scenario in which Tyson Williams does not at least become, you know, the 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 partner of Latavius Murray moving forward. I just don't I don't see how that doesn't want to be the case. I don't know why the Ravens seem to hate him. He made one mistake, I guess. I don't know. We'll see exactly how this breaks down. But man, oh man, I, I can't see how it's not going to be the case. Uh Lamar Jackson had a great, this was a great game for him. It really was. 316 passing yards and a touchdown, no interceptions. I know fantasy-wise, you want to get more than 28 rushing yards, but this was a great NFL game for him and really fantasy purposes down the road. I think a great confidence-building game because he threw the ball very, very well against a very good Bronco defense. Marquise Brown, four receptions, 91 yards. He catches a 49-yarder in this game on five targets, gets the touchdown, makes up for last week. You like that, especially against, again, going up against this defense. This means that you can play Lamar Jackson no matter what the situation is. I know he had, he's been rocky to start this season, just like it was rocky to start last year. But this is a vote of confidence, I think, in the Baltimore Raven department moving forward. Same with Brown. I and mean, Brown's been a wide receiver too. He continues to be that guy. He looks thicker. He looks just explosive, he always has, but he looks thicker this year. He's getting off the line of scrimmage a little bit better than he has last couple years past. And that's been the biggest difference. And not to mention, you have Sammy Watkins out there who fantasy-wise is pretty much irrelevant, but he does enough to get Marquise Brown in better mismatches. We still got to see what happens when Bateman actually takes the field and actually starts to get involved in this offense. He's working his way back now. Let's see how exactly how that's going to work out and shake out. And Does he just overtake Sammy Watkins, or is he going to cut into everyone's targets? which there are, you know, consistently that many to begin with. That remains to be seen. Mark Andrews, five catches, 67 yards, eight targets. It was the lead target on the day. You could see him play him as a top six tight end. I know it hasn't been flashy. It hasn't been awesome, but there's not too many tight ends who get that kind of target share. He's still, in my opinion, the number one targeted player on the Ravens, even though Marquise Brown is going to have a lot of the bigger plays. Let's move on. Let's talk about the San Francisco 49ers and the Seattle Seahawks. So there's a lot of things to get to. Thankfully, before this show came live, we were able to get into a few things. We were able to get into, or we were able to, we were able to find out that Jimmy Garoppolo has a calf contusion, not a strain or a sprain or anything like that, not an Achilles rupture, which it seemed like Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, just due to his comments yesterday, it sounded like he was expecting to find out that he was going to miss at least a few weeks, if not more. That's what it sounded like. He was a dejected guy after that. Like he thought like his shot was over. Now it comes out just a calf contusion. So now all of a sudden come Wednesday, Kyle Shanahan's talking about like, well, we're going to reevaluate on Wednesday. They're going to give him a chance to practice. They're not going to rule him out for this week. And if you're Garoppolo, if you can suit up at all, if you can get on the field at all, you're going to want to, because you know, here, here's the thing. And this is what I was going to say, you know, I'm going to talk about a little bit more about Trey Lance tomorrow during the waiver wire report, of course. But this is what I was thinking with Trey Lance. You go into week five, so you get a full week where you're game planning around your rookie quarterback to fit his skill set. They got their bye in week six. So if you're going to develop an entire game plan around Trey Lance for week five, and then you have the bye week where you can really implement an offense if you're going to switch this thing over to Trey Lance, it's the prime opportunity to do so. A lot of people already had 
week six circled in their calendars as far as when Trey Lance could maybe take over just because of the bye week was right there anyway. Knowing that if the 49ers are less than 500, maybe two and three heading into that week, which is a very likely possibility at this moment because the Arizona Cardinals are 4-0 and and undefeated teams they got to take on right before the bye. So it's a real possibility they're going to be two and three. You start to wonder, do they hand it over to Trey Lance at that point? But if they're not willing to rule Jimmy Garoppolo out and he's able to go and he's able to start and he's able to finish that game without having a setback, then maybe he gets to keep his job. Here's what I will say about Trey Lance and what I saw last uh, yesterday. I saw a guy who's not ready. Plain and simple. Now, I want to be fair here. Going up against Seattle, a tough divisional rival. You didn't take first-team reps all week. The game plan was not meant for you to be the quarterback they had to go to, and you were down heading into the second half. Garoppolo unexpectedly picks up an injury. You get thrown to the fire in the middle of the game. It's not an ideal situation, so I'm not trying to take that away from him. But his big play of the game, of course, goes to Devo Samuel for the 75-yard touchdown. Not a strike. The 75-yard touchdown where Seattle completely forgot that Devo Samuel was even on the field. Now, here's here's a lot of people have already talked about that. So they're like, they're kind of, you know, you're sweeping that under the rug as far as like, we're not going to give you too much credit for a guy who just got left wide open on a broken coverage play and you managed to hit him with nobody around. Here's what I am going to point out about that play. If you didn't see that play, go back on game plan, game pass and watch it. But this is what happened Debo Samuel runs a wheel route to the boundary. Seattle forgets to cover him. So you got the broken play right there. Instead of continuing down the field and getting more and more and more separation from where the rest of the defense is, he stops. He stops about 15 yards past the line of scrimmage to make it as easy of a throw for Trey Lance as he possibly can because he's not trusting Trey Lance to just hit him down the field wide open, down the sideline wide open by himself. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Choose from a great selection of digital coupons and use them up to five times in one transaction. Check our app for details. Baker's, fresh for everyone. He's like, I'm going to stop right here, wait for the ball, and then had to take off again, had to get started again. And not that, and because Seattle completely forgot about him altogether, nobody really came in close to tackling him. But a couple of Seattle players made it into the frame that shouldn't have been in the frame at all with how badly they blew that coverage because Debo had to stop. I thought that was significant in my mind. He seemed to have the presence of mind where he felt like he had to make that as easy of a throw as possible for Trey Lance. And when you watch the rest of the game, you saw why. It's either a dart or wildly inaccurate. He's not consistent. I hate his windup. He has a pitcher's windup. It takes forever to get the ball out of his hand. And he can't read defenses. Now, again, they will, if he had to be the starter, they would develop an entirely new offensive system around his skill set. 
And from a fantasy standpoint, the one that you like is that they came out the gates right away, running pistol and read option and a lot of runs for Trey Lance. So from a fantasy standpoint, while we're suffering on Justin Fields, not being as fantasy relevant as we're hoping for, because he should be running, but he's not for the first two starts that he's had of his career. There's going to be no question about there will be game scripted planned runs for Trey Lance. He had seven carries, 41 yards in this game. So he's going to have a fantasy floor just based off of that. Let's not forget, this has not been a good 49ers offense so far. Kyle Shanahan needs to get his feet held to the fire. Debo Samuel's been great. You keep messing around with Brandon Ayuk, not getting him involved in the offense. George Kittle's picking up injuries. You just, you know, he's been involved in and out here and there. He had 11 targets in this game, four catches, 40 yards. It's not been a good offense. So we'll see what happens. But that's where we're out in Trey Lance. I'm not going to have any confidence in him as a passer, but I know from a fantasy standpoint, he's going to have a lot of runs built into that offensive system. Kind of like a Lamar. It's going to look like a Baltimore Raven offense, but you know Lance not being as fast as Lamar Jackson. But you'll get that fantasy floor as a result to it. But we got to wait and see because there's a chance Garoppolo does suit up and play. As far as the rest of the 49ers go, again, we talked about Debo, had the big fantasy day, eight catches, 156 yards to two touchdowns. He's, I mean, he's obviously the must play. He's playing like a wide receiver one at the first, at the first four games of the season. You play him with the idea that he is a high end wide receiver two who has wide receiver one potential. Again, this whole offense, it's not George Kittle. It's clearly not Brandon Ayuk. It's not even the running game because the running game really hasn't gotten going for this teammate either. This whole offense is built around getting Debo Samuel the ball one way or another. The whole thing is built around that. So as long as that continues, as long as he remains healthy, because that's the big key you have to remember here. It's almost why I think Debo Samuel, to some degree, might be a sell high for me, because he just has that long history of always popping up with some sort of soft tissue injury where it feels like a ticking clock that's going to be a hamstring at some point this year. I I don't want to bank on that. I want to bet on that. I don't want to tell you sell high just because of that. But he does have the long history where that, that is a possibility. And that's the one thing I'd be worried about. But for now, Debo's the guy. Debo's who you go to. George Kill, you like the targets, but again, mediocre production, not 100%. There's only two tight ends in the league who are better. So regardless, you kind of have to go with the, the ins and outs of his inconsistent performances. Unfortunately, under Kyle Shanahan, it just seems like George Kittle's never going to utilize in the red zone the way that he should. Ross Dolly, the one getting the touchdown in this game. And that's always going to cap his ceiling to actually being on the same level of a Darren Waller, of a Travis Kelsey. But again, you have to continue to play him. There's no questions about that there. The other thing to get into is Trey Sermon. He had a nice game here. 19 carries, 87 yards, 4.7 yards a carry. Much better than his first start. He still didn't do enough in this game to overtake Elijah Mitchell. And even though he was better in this game, what I saw last week on tape was no different than this week, which is pretty much... As long as he can stick his foot, he can make his one cut, get north and south immediately, he's fine. He can use his power, and he can use his burst through the line of scrimmage. The second he goes lateral at all, it's like watching paint dry. He goes east to he goes east to west in any capacity. It's like watching paint dry, man. He can't get there. There was a couple times in this game where I saw him. He couldn't hit the hole that was right up the middle. He actually had to try to go off tackle. And he actually, there was a couple times where he did make a positive play out of it because eventually he got north and south. But man, oh man, it took forever for him to turn a corner. With this offense 
And just given the lack of big playability it has outside of Debo Samuel, I still believe Elijah Mitchell is the guy who will be the lead back of this offense. But I think Trey Sermon did enough in this game where he'll be mixed in. And because the 49ers are so desperate to find somebody they like on third downs as a pass catching back, because Kyle Juszczyk, he's nice. He could he can get the job done for now. He's not really what you're looking for. I do wonder if Trey Sermon and Elijah Mitchell are close or similar in carries because they're going to allow Mitchell to be more of the third down pass catching back because he has more of that skill set than a Trey Sermon does. I do wonder if that's going to wind up being the case. Something to kind of keep your eye on, but early on, it sounds like Mitchell has been cleared for contact and practice, meaning expect him back this week against the Arizona Cardinals. I still will have him ahead of Trey Sermon. Maybe they're both RB3s, Mitchell being a more of a high-end RB3, but I will have him ahead of Trey Sermon heading into next week. Seattle side of things. Look, from a fantasy standpoint, the Seahawks got to pick up the pace. If you're wondering what's been going on, not just with Tyler Lockett, but this offense in general from the first two weeks and then week three, week four, that's been the biggest issue. They were throwing the ball, picking up a a much higher tempo the first two weeks. Guys are getting more opportunities. Now you fast forward to week three, week four. Remember, they lost those first two games. Fast forward to week three, week four. They've won the last two. Difference being... They've been much more ball controlling, much more time of possession, much more Pete Carroll like. So Shane, it doesn't matter who's the offensive coordinator, whether it's Brian Schottenheimer or Shane Waldron, the same thing seems to happen. Pete Carroll gets his thumbprint on the offense when he decides, nope, I want to do it my way, which is time of possession and playing field and playing decent defense. And that's how I want to win. As long as they continue to win, that will continue to be the case. As long as they continue to win, Russell Wilson will continue to throw the ball 23 times in a game, 25 times in a game, and just not give you enough volume to be the guy you want him to beat. Now, he bails you out this week because he gets the rushing touchdown. But Russell Wilson, that's never while he has mobility, it's never been a huge factor for him when it comes to fantasy football purposes because he doesn't break it out very often. I know Tyler Lockett, it was like everyone's kind of freaking out, like, oh man, is this going to be like last year? He had the two big games, then he got two duds. How long does this dud streak continue? Just keep him this in mind. He still played two more snaps in DK Metcalf, which is a good sign as far as his hip injury goes. That he is, he's healthy, he's fine, he's out there. He ran just as many routes. He only had three less targets. DK Metcalf at eight, Tyler Lockett at five. It just happened that Metcalf got the four receptions for sixty-five yards, a touchdown. Lockett got stuck with four receptions for 24 yards, no touchdowns. It's going to take them playing better, especially offensive teams, for them to force their hand into having to pick up the tempo a little bit more because that defense still is not a great defense. There are more competent defense than what we saw last year, especially with Jamal Adams on the field. That is true. This is not a terrible defense like they were last year, but this is still a defense that we take advantage of if they play a top-notch offense so that's why i don't want anybody to get too ahead of themselves they got a big game this week against the rams i think you might see a shootout in thursday night football just kind of keep that in mind nothing to be concerned about there where i am a little bit worried about is what's going on with chris carson now this better be because of injury remember last week he had his snap share cut down because they said it was alluding to a hamstring injury this week he wasn't on the he wasn't on the injury report so as far as we were concerned chris carson was 100 healthy well you better hope he wasn't we better hope that he was hampered by an injury because now all of a sudden you got Alex Collins played almost identical amount of snaps. 
only three less carries, was more involved in the past game, although it's not really saying much. But still, if 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 Alex Collins is going to split what little work Chris Carson gets in the past game to begin with on top of the carries, we're in trouble. And Alex Collins looked pretty good. Now, Chris Carson did not look explosive to me as he normally does. So I do think he's not 100% healthy. I do think that's the thing. But we are going to have to keep our eye on Chris Carson. For now, he's still a low in RB2 heading into this week. You still have to play him that way. And maybe you could say, like, they're coming off the hamstring injury, knowing they had a short turnaround. They wanted to make sure Carson was good for a big matchup against the Rams. And Alex Collins was being effective enough. So maybe it just went that way. But we're going to be watching Chris Carson and his usage intently against the Rams because if it's anything similar to this, you might have to get out on Chris Carson before it's too late. So we'll keep you in up to date there. But that is something to watch without a doubt. Oh, I did forget to hit this for Brandon Ayuk. I'll do that uh, now. Prepare to be flushed. Yeah, look, it's a problem. Brandon Ayuk. I will say this. He is a drop if, with the caveat, if you need to make that move. If you don't need to make that move, I'm okay with holding him on to, on to him just a little bit. One, you want to find out, okay, does Garoppolo play this week? Does Trey Lance play this week? If it winds up being Trey Lance, what does that offense look like? He still played the second most snaps, still the second most routes runs to Debo Samuel. I still believe in the talent. So I, I, don't, I still think that there is a reason, there's an unknown, there's an upside to hold on to a brand Ayuk, but only if you can. If you have to make a move, Ayuk is somebody you can drop, 100%. Let's talk about that Rams-Arizona Cardinal game. It was a big game. The Cardinals, this is a, this is a huge statement win for them. Not only the last undefeated team in the league, or at least the only 4-0 team, the Monday night game is going on as we speak, but they dominated this game. A game against a Rams team that just beat up the world champions a week ago against Tampa Bay. This puts the Cardinals on the map as a legitimate threat. Legitimate threat. This is a big statement game for them. 37-20. They blew him out. They blew him out without Kyler Murray having to go crazy. That's the, that's the other crazy part about this. I mean, 32 pass attempts. That's it. 268 yards. He had two passing touchdowns. Didn't turn the ball over. Only 39 yards on the ground, though, and didn't tack on a rushing touchdown. Why? Because James Conner, for the second week in a row, comes in with two rushing touchdowns. Look, nothing changed as far as James Conner and Chase Edmonds are concerned. Edmonds still played way more of the snaps. He's still the only running back really getting involved in the past game. I know Conner had two targets in this game, but he's the guy getting involved. He's the guy who's going to be out there. He's the more explosive running back. Again, Conner, 18 carries in this game. 2.8 yards a carry. He wasn't good. He wasn't efficient. Chase Edmonds, on the other hand, 12 carries, 120 yards. Now, a lot of that coming on a 54-yard run play that he had, but he's the more efficient back. He's the more explosive back. He's going to have the bigger plays. The problem is that Connor will come in in the red zone. They get inside the 10. They get inside the 5. It's Connor time, and it's either going to be Connor or Kyler Murray scoring a touchdown. That's pretty much what it's boiling down to. So in order for Edmonds to get in the end zone, he's got to bust one. So he's always going to have a safe floor. He's always going to be a solid play. But because he doesn't have touchdown capability, unless Connor winds up getting hurt at some point, his ceiling's just always going to be held in check. But that's no different than it was, you know, since the start of the season. AJ Green's not a thing. Say it with me. AJ Green is not a thing. 
I know he had five catches, 67 yards, a touchdown, six targets. I know he's coming off a 100-yard performance. He's still playing the second-most snaps, still running the second-most routes. He's still good at the point of attack. He can't get any separation. His legs are done. And I would be highly shocked if he's really able to stay even this spry all season long. It's I, My analysis remains the same. It is still a ticking clock until Christian Kirk and Rondell Moore overtake A.J. Green. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a world. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. I have still have zero doubts about that, even with two good games in a row. Here's what's a little bit more interesting is Max Williams. Five catches, 66 yards, a touchdown on five targets. He's getting more involved in the pass game. This is two weeks in a row. And usually my role is when you get to these streaming area tight ends, which Max Williams is in, they do it for two weeks in a row. You can start to buy into it a little bit more and have a little bit more confidence in, you know, playing them in certain spots. Let's not get carried away here. He's still not a bona fide, locked-in, top-12 tight end. But you can, you can start being confident about him in certain spots. Which is crazy to me, because here's my thing about Max Williams and why I don't necessarily want to trust is that this guy's been a blocking tight end his entire career. It's not like he's a new, new player here. He's been in the league for a while now. He's always been just a blocking tight end. We also need to see what happens when DeAndre Hopkins gets back to being DeAndre Hopkins, and he hasn't been for the last couple of weeks. Seven targets, four catches, 67 yards. As he gets back to himself, does Max Williams stay involved the way he has been? I think it's something to watch, but he does have to make the streaming territory of tight ends until further notice, so he's going to be someone who's in that discussion. Continue to hold Rondale Moore. As I've said, I do, I do think by the season's end, he'll be the third receiver on the Cardinals, not the fourth. And we know he's a special talent. Hold on to him if you can. If you're 1-3, 0-4, you can't afford to hold on to a loud ticket, fine. But otherwise, if I'm 2-2 two two or better, I'm trying to hold on to Rondell more if I at all possibly can. Same thing for Christian Kirk. I know he had a bad game in this one. Still was out there a ton. Still explosive. Still will be a guy that you can plug and play in certain matchups. I don't think this is a matchup you were looking to play him anyway, knowing that Ramsey's playing the star position means he's matching up against that slot receiver more so than he has the outside receiver more of the time. So I don't think this is a game you're going to look to play to Christian Kirk to begin with. As far as the Rams are concerned, look, better days are ahead. Matthew St- Cooper Cup finally cooled off in this game, but he still had 13 targets. Matthew Stafford was okay, 280 yards, two touchdowns. He had the pick. Actually, 21 yards rushing. So he kind of kind of helped supplement your fantasy floor there a little bit. Anyway, still a top 10 quarterback for me. This is what we get against you. Darrell Henderson looks good. 14 carries, 89 yards, tacked on five receptions for 27 yards, six targets. 
he completely dominated Sony Michelle as far as the workload goes. And I, I, I said that I expected him to be the workhorse back when he came back. Sony Michelle did not show enough for this to suddenly become a committee. And Darrell Henderson clearly wasn't quite 100% as of yet. He'll be closer to that on Thursday against Seattle. Hopefully he's able to stay healthy. We know he's an injury risk, but hopefully he's able to keep that thing going. We'll see exactly what's able to happen. Uh, as far as everything else goes, pretty much stays the same. Robert Woods gets the touchdown here. While he had the same amount of snaps, same amount of Ross run as Cooper Cup, he continues to get a half amount, half the half the targets. Plain and simple. It's a shame, but he does. I don't think it's going to change. So if you could take this touchdown from Robert Woods, give it to somebody and say, hey, take this, I'm out, do it. Do it. Sell out while you can on Robert Woods. I know he's pissed off. I know he's becoming a little bit of a squeaky wheel. Maybe the squeaky wheel gets to grease. He is still having the opportunities on a high-powered offense, but I don't like the way this is going. Cooper Cup is the guy unless he gets hurt. Because the other problem Robert Woods is having is not just the Cooper Cup factor. It's that Van Jefferson, although not playing as many snaps, is getting just as many targets as Robert Woods. When they're out there, they're looking to go to him. Tyler Higby getting just as many targets as Robert Woods on a pretty consistent basis now. So unless they actually start to make a plan to feature Robert Woods alongside Cooper Cup again, I think it has to take an injury for him to get back up there, making him a matchup-dependent wide receiver three until further notice. The opportunities are there. The offense is there. There's still some hope there. But it's clearly Cup and then everybody else. And that's where I would want to try to get out if I possibly could, because I don't think that changes unless it's an injury. Let's take a quick break. Come back on the other side. We got more to talk about from week four, the breakdown. So everybody stay tuned to the MDC football show. We'll be back with you guys right after this. Your client's going away for 10 years. Unless. Unless. We swap first round picks. Fantasy football draft season is upon us. It's time for you to put the PP back in the PPR league. With the sponsors of today's show, Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming, just launched the new Performance Package 4.0. Don't neglect your balls like the Packers' front office has been neglecting Aaron Rodgers. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for kickoff by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY. This will help you tame that Troy Palomalu in your pants. And good news for our international listeners. Their life-changing products are now available in Canada, the UK, across Europe, Australia, South Africa, and Singapore. All with the 20% off and free international shipping when you use the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY today. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Welcome back in, MD Nation. Welcome back to the MD's Fantasy Football Shows. We're going over the week four Sunday afternoon recap. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. We're streaming you live on social media at BellyUpMDFF Show and on the YouTube channel. Please subscribe to the MD's Fantasy Football Show channel when you get the opportunity to do so. Let's continue on here with our full-on recap. Let's talk about the Miami Dolphins and the Indianapolis Colts. And this boring snooze fest of the game. The Colts getting their first win of the day because Jacoby Brissett is downright horrible. We'll start on the Dolphins side. 
Brissett goes for two touchdowns. He didn't have any picks, but 20 of 30, 199 yards is just very, very putrid, putrid, putrid all the way. Devontae Parker winds up with a decent stat line, four receptions, 77 yards. He gets a touchdown, nine targets. Will Fuller had to leave it early in this game. Turns out it was a broken finger. Turns out he still got a decent chance to come back and play in week five. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But I just don't, if all three receivers are out there, I just don't know how you trust any one of them. I really don't. Now, Will Fuller's out. I think it does boost up Parker a little bit, boost up Wild a little bit, consolidates targets to some degree. But I have no interest in playing any of these guys if I don't have to. There's just no ceiling to be had there, especially as long as Brissett's the quarterback. The only guy that gets enhanced by Jacoby Brissett is Mike Gusecki. He had five catches, 57 yards, and a touchdown on six targets in this game, coming off of a double-digit target performance the week before. Since Brissett's been the quarterback, he has gone to Mike Gusecki pretty consistently. And I think you continue to play him as a potential top 12 tight end heading into week five. The idea is to tackle Voa, maybe returning in week six and be healthy and good to go. When that happens, I'll be off Mike Gesicki. I'll be looking at the three receivers and seeing how that breaks down. Of course, we'll have to rewrite the books completely when that happens, but that's what we're looking for. That's what's been the trend as of right now. So you hold Parker if you have him. You hold Mike Kosicki at least for one more week if you had him. You hold Waddle, because Waddle's been the more, most consistent wide receiver at this point. Will Fuller's the guy where I will go ahead and hit this button for him. Prepare to be flushed. He's just unfortunately in a situation where you just don't need to keep him. He hasn't really gotten going. It seems like every time he's trying to get involved, he's, he has an injury or some kind of off-the-field issue he's got to go take care of. It's a new offense. He still hasn't played with Tua yet. There's upside to be had there. We know what Will Fuller can be. But can he have that opportunity to really do that in his offense? He kind of falls along the lines of Ayuk to me. If you can hold on to him, do so. But if you need to make a move, I think you could drop Will Fuller right now. Because Parker just looks like the better player at the moment. Then he gets to the backfield. And I mean, this kind of reminds me of the Ravens situation, frankly. Miles Gaskin, who had been operating as the lead back up until this point, who, while he was not getting enough touches, was still being efficient with the touches he was getting at five yards a carry, still is the most talented back back there, still is the best passer, pass catcher back there. And in this game, not as Malcolm Brown, I'll carry him, but he outsnapped him, and it wasn't close. Miles Gaskin was essentially a backup in this game. Malcolm Brown was the go-to starter as far as the snap count share is concerned. It was absolutely downright disgusting to see Malcolm Brown out there as the lead back on a team that has no, no game-breaking ability whatsoever. 35 snaps for Malcolm Brown to Miles Gaskins, 12. And in fact, ran three more routes run than him and wound up with one more target. Disgusting. The Dolphins have no idea what to do on offense right now. Maybe maybe they get some clarity when Tua Tagovailoa comes back. They get back to what their identity was meant to be. So maybe you have that upside going into it, which would mean Miles Gaskins should get back on track at some point. But right now, it's disgusting. 
And I don't really want to touch a Miami Dolphin if I can at all help it. And that doesn't change after this game. The Colts side, they're not far off. But, hey, let's give a big shout-out to Jonathan Taylor. 16 carries, 103 yards, and a touchdown. Marlon Mack actually had 10 carries in this game, believe it or not. And this was a game that was never really well in hand for the Indianapolis Colts. I don't know if the idea was we'll play him this week to try to showcase him in hopes that they'll trade him because they had the big story throughout the week that they were both actively going to try to look for trades for Marlon Mack. Who I do think, I mean, eyeball test, honestly, like not outside of this game, he's looked good to me so far, what we've seen in preseason, what we've seen in games up until this point. Like I still think Marlon Mack could actually be a viable player and starter for somebody. Just wasn't good in this one. Tough defense, but Jonathan Taylor, that's the big key. I said it last week. I said going into this game, so they, they're going to have to figure out they have to get back to Jonathan Taylor carrying the ball 20 plus times in the game because right now, that's the only improvement you can make to this offense. You have to let it run through Taylor and then play action off of that, then get the receivers involved, then get Carson Wentz going. Because this whole let's play this Phillip Rivers offense we were from a season ago with Carson Wentz has never made any sense to me at all, it was never his skill set. And you're just leaving him out to dry with when what's a terrible offensive line, especially pass protection wise. Take the pressure off, put on Jonathan Taylor, put on the young guy, put on the powerful guy. They didn't quite do it this game. I mean, honestly, like I, I still think this game, this situation, way this game script was, he still he should have got 20 carries. He didn't. He got 16 because Marlon Mack had to get 10 for some reason. This is the downfall of Frank Reich when it comes to, you know, RB1s. They get cut off by their own coach. But he's still great. 103 yards, touchdown. Naeem Hines got banged up. He was in and out of this game, but none of the running backs were overly involved in the passing game. Michael Pittman continues to be the only pass catcher, really, a wide receiver, you could say, for the Colts that you have any interest in playing. Six receptions, 59 yards on eight targets. T.Y. Hilton still reportedly not that close to being back yet. So when he comes back, we'll see if that dynamic changes. But for now... Pittman still continues to be a volume-based wide receiver three for me moving forward. Then we move into another game that was surprising. Surprising in the final score. Washington 34-30 to the Atlanta Falcons. They pull off the big win at the end of the game. But here's one thing I want to lead off by saying. if Washington, I looked at this game as Washington's defense had an opportunity to get right with that terrible Atlanta offensive line, the inefficiencies the Falcons' offense has had, Talking about heading into this week, how Arthur Smith had been terribly disappointed by his play calling. They look like they have no identity on offense. If that defense was going to be any good this year, this was their opportunity to do so. I'm convinced the, the Washington defense is not going to be good at any point this year. Chase Young is still a great player. On paper, it should be a great defensive line. But that secondary is so putrid that you're just wearing the defense is getting worn out. They can't get off the field on third down because they got nobody who can cover. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, 
prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. This isn't going to be a good defense. And as a result of that, I thought Antonio Gibson was in line for an opportunity, especially against the Atlanta Falcons, for being RB1. And he was good. 63 yards and a touchdown on 14 carries. But the problem with Gibson, that's been the problem this whole year, is that unfortunately he is just not in position to be the lead back when it comes to catching the ball. He had two targets in this game, two receptions, 12 yards for J.D. McKissick, had five targets, five receptions, 44 yards, and of course he had the game-winning touchdown at the end that we all saw the highlight on. He also had seven carries to Gibson's 14, only for 15 yards. But McKissick still, with all this talk, I said, I said going into the week, with all this talk about Gibson cutting into McKissick's work, supposedly on second and medium and third and medium, doesn't matter. It's not where the bulk of the targets are. They're in comeback mode. They're in two-minute drill. They're in third and long. That's still McKissick's playground. Continues to be so. And now, when you boot in that Washington's defense, just does not seem to be a defense that's going to turn the corner and be as expected this season. That means there's going to be more games than you would expect there to be to be more of a J.D. McKissick type of game script. Meaning to me, Antonio Gibson, basically, you're nothing more than a high-end RB2. You're not a low-end RB1 that some people were hoping you'd have the opportunity to be. And this is the unfortunate part. Terry McLaurin, I had him in my top five wide receivers. He came through for me. Six receptions, 123 yards, two touchdowns on 13 targets. You absolutely love it for Terry McLaurin. Taylor Heineke keeps showing that he knows who to get the ball to. And while Curtis Samuel was back in this game, still getting work back to 100%, but then they lose Logan Thomas, who's now going to be week to week with a hamstring injury. In his stead, Ricky Seals-Jones did come in. I'm not concerned about that. I think, if anything, Curtis Samuel will get more of the targets moving forward and operate in that role. And Terry McLaurin, he's going to be a high-end wide receiver two, low-end wide receiver one in certain matchups. And came through in this one. Matt Ryan finally, finally had a good day. This goes back to, you know, Washington's defense not being very good because Matt Ryan hasn't been good for fantasy purposes at all until today. Four passing touchdowns. Three of them. Three of them going to Cordero Patterson. All right, so we got to take a moment to talk about Cordero Patterson. Now, I'll give a stat line. Five receptions, 82 yards, three touchdowns on six targets. And then he had six carries for 34 yards. Was the, was the lead rusher on the day. We'll talk about the backfield in general in a second. So anytime you, wa- you listen to or watch a fantasy football show, you're going to hear the experts talk about, you know, process over results. I mean, results can be fluky, but the process, how many opportunities are you getting? How much playing time are you having? That's not fluky. That's what's sustainable over a long-term season, which is true. Nine times out of 10. Cordell Patterson right now is that one out of 10. He is that player where it just doesn't make sense, but you have to trust the results over the process. Trust the fact that when he's on the field, they're trying to get him the ball. And right now it's being very successful. Cordell Patterson is an elite RB one as of week four, believe it or not. It's not, and it's not due to process. It's all about results. Cause he's still playing well behind Mike Davis as far as opportunities go. 
but it's just been a result thing. They get him the ball and he scores touchdowns and it's continued to happen. And he continues to be a big factor in the passing game, which is what keeps boosting his floor to begin with. It's why, you know, he gets six targets in this game has more than that last few games. That's where the floor is. That's where the process does come into play. Like, okay, this is a guy due to the expected game script Atlanta Falcons to have on a week in week out basis that you just have to, you just have to play him. You have to, he has to be in your starting lineup until further notice. Now, having said all that, while he has to be in your starting lineup and you trust the results over the process with Cordell Patterson, he's still a screaming sell high to me. Somebody in your league is going to look at the production he has had and think that this can continue. And you know what? It might continue, honestly. Not, I mean, not to the level of he's getting three touchdowns in the game, but it might continue to where Cordell Patterson will always be a must-play throughout the year because of the role that he's found within the Atlanta Falcons because of the game scripts that they will be in more times than not. It's possible. It's possible. It doesn't make any sense, but it's possible. I'd rather have a guy who I know has the opportunity and the results that's to sustain over a long-term part of the season. And right now, there's some buy-low candidates out there that you can go ahead and get. And Cordero Patterson is the perfect guy because you didn't draft him to be your top-two running back guy. You could package him with a receiver or with another running back and go upgrade into an elite category for somebody who needs depth right now or is looking at Patterson's product productivity as something that can sustain, and he's an extra piece because he's 1-3 and three and 0-4. Oh and so do some shopping this week. Think about what you need. Think about what you would really like to improve in. Think about some buy-low candidates out there. DeAndre Hopkins comes to mind as far as wide receivers go. Jonathan Taylor, till his points at running back, buy-low. Dalvin Cook might maybe a buy-low. Her week has a bad week this week. You might be surprised what becomes available to you. You might be surprised what becomes available to you because of how good Patterson has been. But in the meantime, not only is he sell high, but he's a guy who has to be in your lineup until you do. It's, it's so weird. And then top it all off, Wayne Gallman had just as many carries as Cordell Patterson did. He had six carries, and both of them vastly more efficient than Mike Davis, who had 13 carries and 14 yards. Mike Davis is going to find himself out of a job soon. This is the first game that Wayne Gallman was active for and started to get involved a little bit. If that continues, I would not be shocked if in within the next two weeks, it's Patterson and Wayne Gallman as the starting running backs, quote-unquote. And Mike Davis is the third odd man out because he's just so inefficient. He's so bad. He's just not good. He's just not good. Plain and simple. So on a Mike Davis standpoint, if you can get out from under it because he had the touchdown and the volume, the snap count have been there to try to make the case that he's an RB3. If you can get out from under Mike Davis, I think this might be your last chance to do it because of the involvement of a Wayne Gallman. So do it. In his case, you're not trying to sell him to sell high or anything like that, but you're trying to get some value for him before it's too late because it might be soon. Calvin Ridley gets 13 targets, seven receptions, 80 yards. I know he doesn't score. I know it's been frustrating. He and Kyle Pitts both have not gotten the end zone, but this is where you do trust the process over the results. The targets have been there. 13 targets. You're not going to complain about that with Calvin Ridley. And Kyle Pitts, nine targets. There's only a handful of tight ends we're seeing the mile target share that Kyle Pitts has been seeing. So while it hasn't resulted in big games and it hasn't resulted in scores, as long as the opportunities that those two te- those two guys have been seeing, you have to think it's going to be coming at some point. And I would keep the faith that it would. Let's move to the Jets of Tennessee. We need to pick up the pace here a little bit on the show. 
I always like to go a little bit long because there's a lot to dissect. And I want to make sure you guys get everything before you head in the next week. But we do got to pick up the pace here a little bit. So bear with me. Tennessee Titans and New York Jets. We'll start on the Titans side of the ball, obviously. Tannehill having a mediocre day. Now, Tannehill wasn't a guy that I was gung-ho to play after we found out Julio Jones and A.J. Brown were both going to be out. But I still expected a little bit of a better performance, at least fantasy-wise, against the New York Jets than what we got. 298 yards, one touchdown. Didn't have a pick, but didn't really do anything on the ground, which was the big factor here. Derrick Henry, I mean, was this the third game, fourth game in a row? He's had over 30 carries. It's it's absolutely insane. So much for his carry workload diminishing at all with Arthur Smith being gone. 33 carries, 157 yards, a touchdown. You love that. No, no worries about that whatsoever. Uh, the problem here was the receivers. Now, if you would have told me before the game that Nick Westbrook Ikeen would have been the leading snap count route run receiver and gotten eight targets against the New York Jets. I would have told you that we were all correct in making him a wide receiver three for this week. Didn't work out that way. Three receptions, 29 yards. Chester Rogers got involved five, which I wasn't totally surprised about five receptions, 63 yards, six targets. Josh Reynolds wound up being the most targeted wide receiver at nine, six catches, 59 yards. The big one was Jeremy McNoles, McNichols. Backup running back for Derrick Henry, who's been the third down pass catching back so far this season. Eight receptions, 74 yards on 12 targets. Look, the point is this. Till Julio Jones and A.J. Brown come back, the only person you're interested in Tennessee Titans is Derrick Henry. Once they get back, we'll start talking about Ryan Tannehill, we'll talk about Julio, we'll talk about A.J. Brown. But until they get back, this ball gets spread around by too many mediocre players to have any kind of confidence from a fantasy perspective whatsoever. Plain and simple. And on the Jets side of the ball, things get pretty straightforward. Zach Wilson had his best game of the year, obviously, and they come away with the win. But it's more than just that. Corey Davis, four receptions, 111 yards, a touchdown on seven targets. In plus matchups, where they're, you know, they're playing against a bad defense here, Corey Davis will have the opportunity to be a wide receiver three with some upside as the main X receiver. Here's the other fact that you can pretty much take to the bank and then he give a matchup. Jameson Crowder comes in seven receptions, 61 yards, a touchdown on nine targets. I said this every single week, Braxton Berrios, the target share he was getting I was like that will continue when Jameson Crowder takes over, which is why I kept saying Crowder is a PPR wide receiver three when he comes back because of the volume. They're clearly looking to utilize and feature the slot receiver. That will be Crowder when he gets back. It was Crowder when he got back. Even if you take away the touchdown, he was still a solid wide receiver three for PPR purposes. Now, half-point PPR, maybe lower end wide receiver three, wide receiver four, maybe more of a flex play in that situation. But a guy you can still consider who's going to get high volume in what will be more positive game scripts than not for the passing game. The other factor about the New York Jets to talk about is this, Michael Carter. Yes, Ty Johnson was still involved. But for the first time this year, Michael Carter actually ran one more route than Ty Johnson did, and he dominated the carries. He actually played as if he was the lead back for the first time all season. Now, it wasn't pretty. 2.9 yards of carry, did did come away with a touchdown, had three targets, one reception, negative four yards. It wasn't pretty. But if he continues to be the lead guy and continues to get more work in certain matchups, he could be a spot start, maybe a flex start. I do believe in his talent. This offensive line should get better as the season wears on. 
as they implement more and more of this offensive system. So something to keep an eye on, make sure you're keeping Michael Carter. He is somebody who I have some interest in moving forward. Now let's go to the other New York team, New York Giants, who win a huge game on the road in overtime against New Orleans. I didn't think there was any chance they would win this game. The Saints had their first home game of the year, technically, because they finally back in the Superdome after the big hurricane. And they just came out flat. They did. The Giants went toe-to-toe with them all game long. And the Saints offense, just they need to find some answers. They need to find some answers. I don't know quite what that is. But James Winston can't continue to throw the ball 23 times and think you're going to have an effective enough offense to not let teams like the Giants, who are inferior, be able to win those games. You're going to keep crappy teams in the game much longer than what they should be because you're not being aggressive. And you can't be. Now, this goes back to Michael Thomas. Now, Michael Thomas right now is a buy-low candidate in the right situation. Keep in mind, it's if you are 1-3, 0-4, or you know, somebody in our league is one and three, zero and four, and they were the team that happened to draft and stash Michael Thomas. He's a buy low candidate for me. Now, if you're two and two or better, and you could hold on to Michael Thomas, please, please, please do so, because what I'm seeing out of this offense is this: they have such little faith in their pass catchers that Sean Payton is trying to do everything he can to just have his defense win games alongside of Alvin Kamara. That's all he's trying to do. Kamara again, 26 carries. He's getting more carries than he ever has in his entire career. 120 yards. The only difference was Taysom Hill scored the two touchdowns. It wasn't Kamara this week. Big whoop de do. You're not worried about Alvin Kamara. I know it's people are disappointed because he's not involved in the passing game. Again, keep in mind, only throwing the ball like 23 times a game right now. That will probably change when Michael Thomas gets out there. Not only does it, you know, it kick Marquez Callaway down the depth chart where he plays more of the receiver too. He could just be the bomb guy. It makes Deontay Harris stay in the slots. Kicks everybody else back to a more normal-ish position, and you'll actually have a pass catcher that you'll be able to feature and you'll be able to trust in Michael Thomas, which may allow Sean Payton to feel confident in opening up the offense back up again a little bit, assuming Jameis Winston's still a starter at that point. Uh, there's that role for Michael Thomas. If he's 100% healthy because of the dire straits his offensive is in, I think there's actually a real chance he could be looking at double-digit targets a game on a pretty consistent basis and being the passing game especially with Jameis Winston continues to be the starting quarterback. Remember, they, they play week five. They have their bye in week six, which is why Michael Thomas, he's eligible to come back week seven and only have to miss five games on the pup list. That's just how that scheduling worked out. But if he comes back healthy, there's a real role there for Michael Thomas to be a volume gobbler. And I do wonder coming off the bye, if he's ready to go, the Saints, we don't see the Saints trying to open up their offense a little bit because they got to do something. They got to do something. And right now, as it stands, Al Kamara is still the only player I care about on the New Orleans Saints side. On the Giants side of the ball, this is a tough matchup against the Saints at home. Daniel Jones went for 400 yards passing on 40 pass attempts, two touchdowns, tacked on 27 yards rushing. I still don't care about him from a fantasy standpoint because I will never trust Daniel Jones in my lineup. It, just, it will never happen. It will never, it, even if it means that you call me biased, whatever, I don't care. I am never going to trust Daniel Jones in my starting lineup. It's just not going to happen, especially not in this situation. But what you like there is that other guys got involved. Now, there was no Sterling Shepard, no Darius Slayton. As a result, Kenny Galladay finally has his best game of the year. Seven targets, six receptions, 116 yards. The biggest thing being that Daniel Jones finally was willing to take some shots down the field in this game. They were. That was the biggest difference I saw in this giant offense war I've seen to this point. Does that continue when the other two guys come back? We'll have to see. Kadarius Toney. 
he might be on my waiver wire report because we're still expecting Shepard and Slayton to miss another week or two at least. He played a ton. He had the second most snaps, second most route run to Kenny Galladay, six receptions, 78 yards. He had nine targets. He had the most targets on the team. It can't be ignored. They got him involved. He played the slot receiver. He got volume by default. Now, when Shepard comes back, I do believe Katerius only gets kicked back to the bench. And Shepard continues to be the number one receiver for Daniel Jones over Kenny Galladay. Because he's just looking for the slot. I mean, even in this game, Kadarius Tony in his first actual start, was targeted more than Kenny Galladay was. The slot is the first targeted, or the most targeted position, I should say, for Daniel Jones. Period. Period. Doesn't matter what it, who it is, what the case is, that's where he's going to go. So when Shepard comes back, I still think he's the number one receiver targeted-wise for Daniel Jones. Which is why Kenny Galladay, to me... I'm looking at this six reception, 116 yard game as an opportunity to try to sell as high as you possibly can on Kenny Galladay. It's still going to be a crazy high because it's the only good game of the year. But use this positive game like, hey, maybe this is a turning corner, you know, turning point for the guy. I'd get out from under Kenny Galladay if at all possible. If at all possible. Now, the news that I do think is sustainable Saquon Barkley. 13 carries, 52 yards. I'll take four yards of carry against New Orleans Saints behind that offensive line. And he gets the really nice red zone rushing touchdown. Also, of course, tax on the big 54-yard reception for a touchdown. Six targets, five receptions, 74 yards altogether. The only question with Saquon Barkley is when Shepard and Slayton come back, does his involvement in the passing game continue? That's the only question. After what we saw against the Saints, I'd have a hard time believing that it wouldn't because he looked so good, so explosive, and this team needs offensive explosion wherever it can get it. So it'll be hard for me to believe that he doesn't, but it is something that remains to be seen. Oh, by the way, Evan Ingram, yes, the targets were there, six targets. He's just not a fit for this offense. That's why he's not a tight end streamer for me, even with Shepard and Slayton out. I know this was a tough matchup. I wasn't expecting much out of Ingram anyway. But he doesn't get targeted down the field. He's a seam-stretching tight end who just doesn't get utilized that way. And that's the problem in this offense for them. All right, what I want to do is I would take one more break. We'll come back on the other side, and we'll wrap up the rest of the Sunday afternoon recap for you guys right here. So stay tuned on the MD's Fantasy Football Show, and we'll be back right after this. The NFL is back in action, and so is winning season at MyBookie. With over $500,000 in contest prize money, winning season makes the big games better and the victories even sweeter. Head to MyBookie.ag and choose from a variety of boosts, contests, and promotions up for grabs, highlighted by the crown jewel of winning season, the famed MyBookie Super Contest. And it only costs $10 to enter. Pick five games against the spread each week. Each win earns you a point, and each point gets you closer to the grand prize. If you missed out on week one, don't even sweat it because entries are still open, and all it takes is one solid week to get you back in the mix. Don't just take my word for it. Join now and start your winning season with MyBookie today. In order to get you started, make your first deposit at MyBookie.ag and use promo code MDFANTASY to instantly receive double your deposit. That's double your money to double your winnings with your first ever deposit using promo code MD Fantasy. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Welcome back, MD Nation. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on social media at Belly Up MDFF Show, of course, on our YouTube channel. 
Subscribe to the MD's Fantasy Football Show or on your favorite pod streaming app. We're available to you on iHeart, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, wherever. And make sure you check us out. The next show upcoming will be Tuesday night from 7 to 8 on the Unhinged Radio Network, unhingedsn.airtime.pro. So let's continue on with the Sunday week recap. Kind of going a little more rapid fire here to try to get this all in. A lot to talk about still, but do need to take some time when we talk about the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles, of course. A lot of points, 42 to 30. Exactly what you want from a fantasy standpoint. Exactly what you want in a game with the Kansas City Chiefs. You want reasons for it to be a shootout because anything is possible. Man, oh, man. So Tyreek Hill, he comes in. He just makes up for the last two weeks in one game. <laughs> 11 receptions, 186 yards, three touchdowns. His second almost 200-yard performance of the season. Now, I, I will say this, and as a fellow Tyreek Hill owner in, in a few leagues, uh, I would hope that it would get a little bit more consistent, more like last year where it was like every single game was like, you know, 90 to 100 yards, a touchdown. He's great. He's obviously great. And you'll take what comes with Tyreek Hill, which can be a little bit inconsistency at times. Travis Kelsey, this is the first time, I believe, since last year, even before last year, maybe two years ago, that Travis Kelsey was not, you know, the tight end one of the week. Four receptions, 23 yards, six targets. Obviously, nothing to worry about. It's just at this point, it's almost shocking when he doesn't go for 100 yards, especially in a game where he, the Chiefs scored 42 points. It's just surprising. That's all. But nothing really much to go over there. You know, Demarcus Robinson was the one who played the second most targets. Miko Harmon, once again, gets targeted more. Or, I'm sorry, Demarcus Robinson played the second most snaps. Miko Harmon was still targeted more than he was. However, I think the question is, you know, does Josh Gordon, does he have any value? And my answer to that is this. Because it's the Kansas City Chiefs, I guess there's always that underlying upside. Josh Gordon hasn't been a thing in a long time, guys. We really don't know what kind of physical shape he is in. So maybe, I mean, if you're sitting there 3-1, 4-0, and you're thinking, I need a receiver at some point, you want to take a lotto shot. I mean, it's going to be a lotto shot of all lotto shots. I'm just going to warn you now. So if you want to do that, go ahead, bless your heart. I'm not banking on Josh Gordon actually being a thing this year. I'm just not. Just not. Let's talk about what really matters because it's not Mahomes in the five touchdown performances. We know he's a QB one. It's fine. It's Clyde Edwards Alaire. Clyde Edwards Alaire is a little bit of an oxymoron right now because the second game in a row, he goes over 100 yards. The second game in a row, he scores a receiving touchdown. Second game in a row, he's about seven yards a carry, incredibly efficient. And that's what I talked about last week. I talked about he was a he was a he was a sell high for me last week. Because I was still didn't like usage. And in fact, his usage had gone down. Darrell Williams had gotten in on the red zone. It wasn't Clyde Edwards-Alaire. That continued again this week. Clyde uh, Darrell Williams came in, had a red zone carry, got the red zone touchdown on the rushing at least. And this week, he played even more. Clyde Edwards-Alaire played even less. Edwards-Alaire had 14 carries. Darrell Williams had 10. The snap count was much closer. Edwards Lord just played just over 50% of snaps. Darrell Williams about 35-40. He was even involved in the passing game just as much. I mean, Edwards Hilaire comes away with the touchdown, but three targets, two catches, 12 yards. Darrell Williams, two targets, two catches, 16 yards. He just didn't get the end zone. 
This is becoming a committee. Playing-wise. Now, you could make the argument maybe that, oh, well, as Edwards Hiller plays less, maybe it keeps him more fresh and he's able to be more efficient. Maybe. And he's always going to have some upside within this offense. Or maybe it's that the Philadelphia Eagles have become not such a great run defense after the last two weeks. Or we're just so hell-bent on stopping the pass. And Edwards Hiller was able to be efficient. But I don't like a running back who's only seeing two targets in a game and 14 carries on a consistent basis. And that's still what it's been. Last week, he had 13 carries, went for over 100 yards. He's only had two targets. I don't like the usage. I don't like that the snap count's going down. I don't like that Rel Williams is carving out a role of the red zone. So what I'm saying to you is that I don't care that he had a second good game in a row. My standpoint is sell high. And this time, you might be able to sell even higher because now you can make the argument it's been two weeks in a row. And things could be on the turning point for Clyde Edwards-Alaire. But I'd much rather have a Jonathan Taylor. I'd much rather have, you know, a few guys that I think you can get, especially if you package him with something. To me, he's still a low-end RB2 on a week-in, week-out basis who doesn't have the RB1 upside that you hoped he had. Because I don't like the utilization. I'm trusting the process over the results here over the last two weeks. I'm taking advantage of the results in a trade. That's my advice on Clyde Rizalaire. Hasn't changed. He does it for a third week in a row. We'll revisit. But right now, the utilization is telling me that this is not going to be sustainable for him. Especially since it's not coming in the passing game. His usage is still coming in the running game, which is not what you want out of Clyde Rizalaire. All right, let's move to the Eagles. Hurst was great. Hurst continues to be great from a fantasy perspective. Even when he has bad NFL games, he still is very good from a fantasy standpoint. He continues to be a QB1. He'll be a QB1 all year because apparently the Philadelphia Eagles forgot that there's something called running the football. (laughs) It was a little bit better than it was the Monday night game, I guess, but it wasn't much better. Miles Sanders had seven carries in this game. Kenneth Gainwell had three. So yeah, you know what? Yeah, 10 carries compared to two or three or what it was against the Dallas Cowboys on Monday night. Sure. I guess that's an improvement, I suppose. I don't know. Hertz, again, I just want to make I want to recap on Hertz. He had a great game. 387 yards, two passing touchdowns, and the 47 yards rushing. Great. Phenomenal. Miles Sanders. I'm about to give you a piece of advice on Miles Sanders that I don't normally give. And that is to sell low. I don't like telling you guys to sell low because it always means you're getting pennies on the dollar. It leaves you vulnerable. But you can't drop Miles Sanders. You can't drop him because he's still starting running back on an offense. But you can't play him because they're not utilizing him. They're not giving him the passing down work. That's Kenneth Gainwell's role. Two-minute drill, third and longs. So I talked about with J.D. McKissick. That's Kenneth Gainwell. That's his role on this team. It's not Miles Sanders. not getting involved in the passing game. And because they're forgetting completely to even bother running the football, you can't trust to play Miles Sanders. So right now, the only option I can have for you to do, if you have Miles Sanders on your team, is to try to package him. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 
I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. With a wide receiver. This is the only trade in my mind that I think has any possibility of working. You package him with a wide receiver and you go after somebody who has some depth at running back and you get a legitimate RB2, depending on how good the receiver is you package, maybe a low-end RB1. And you're saying, like, here, I'm giving you Miles Sanders. I'm giving you a starting running back in return so you can you can keep your depth, take a bit of a downgrade, but you get the improvement because you need a wide receiver. That's the only trade you have. Anything else, you're not going to improve the running back position by giving him a running back and a running back or, you know, whatever. Or I don't think you can improve the wide receiver position by packaging with the wide receiver because he's not anybody who's running back needy. He's not going to look at Miles Sanders like, oh, yeah, let me trade one of my wide receiver ones for him and a wide receiver. Like, no, it has to be somebody who has running backs and needs wide receiver and you have a good one to be able to trade. It's the only, it's the only action I have for you on Miles Sanders because you can't drop him. But I don't know how much you really want to play him right now, if at all. Unfortunately, Kenneth Gainwell, I really think is going to take over this job at some point. They don't like Miles Sanders. And while Kenneth Gainwell is not, he's not a guy who can be a workhorse back. That's why I don't know if he's ever going to be like, you know, 15 plus carries along with five plus targets game. He might get somebody who could be 16 touches in a game. And they love him in the passing game. As long as that continues to be the case, Gainwell is somebody PPR leads, especially he's a flex play for me right now. He's somebody you can plug and play in that flex spot. And I wouldn't be surprised next week if I go into my algorithm and I start pu- pumping out uh, week five projections. It would not shock me if I, if you wind up seeing Kenneth Gainwell ranked ahead of Miles Sanders for me next week. It wouldn't be surprising. I think because I think it's coming. I think it might happen this week because of the roles they clearly are playing. Devonta Smith had a great game: seven receptions, 122 yards, ten targets in this game. He is the wide receiver one of this team. And while the performances haven't always been there over the last four weeks, the targets have been. The targets have been. Devonta Smith is a, you know, a high-end wide receiver three, low-end wide receiver two due to volume. And he's getting better and better and playing more and more. Dallas Goddard, Zach Ertz both get involved. Goddard gets the touchdown. Ertz has three more targets. They are both streaming tight ends. Zach Ertz has somehow worked his way back into fantasy relevancy. They are both between that 10 and 18 range where you can stream either one of them. I think I'm going to continue to have Dallas Goddard ranked a little bit ahead. He's still playing a little bit ahead, still running a few more routes. But this is the second game in a row where Zach Ertz has been the more targeted tight end. So they're both in that streaming territory. Pick your poison. It's going to be annoying because you're not going to know which one to pick because they're both cutting each other off to some degree. But, uh, yeah, they're both in that area, depending on who's available, I guess, in your league. Let's go to Chicago. Let's go to Detroit. This matchup here, it was another boring game. Let me say this. Let me start with the Lions side of the ball, though. Jared Goff, 299 yards, two touchdowns. Continues to be somewhat of a streaming option, depending on who they're playing, just because of the volume that they constantly have to have because the defense is so putrid. What was weird, of course was the Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift split. So on one hand, it feels like 
we were all swindled because all we heard all week long from Dan Campbell was look out. This is going to be the week that we're going to completely unleash Deandre Swift. You're going to get, he's going to carry the ball a ton. He's going to be our lead workhorse back. He's been great. He's been phenomenal. It's all I heard all week long was I'm talking up Deandre Swift and how much he was going to be involved. And then Sunday comes and Jamal Williams gets 14 carries and Swift gets eight. Now the passing game, Williams was not involved at all. And Swift got six targets, four catches, 33 yards. So ultimately, the passing game, you're not worried about it. If you didn't watch this game, you're wondering yourself, well, what the heck happened? And if you're watching Red Zone, it sure as heck felt like Jamal Williams was out there all the time, at least when anything was being done in the backfield anyway. But when you actually pay attention and watch the entire game, when you actually look at the utilization reports, you'll find that DeAndre Swift played more than double the amount of snaps. So from playing time standpoint, Dan Campbell actually didn't lie. DeAndre Swift played well ahead of Jamal Williams. It just didn't wind up showing up that way in the box score. We're not worried about Swift. He's been playing like an RB1. I get to, I can I would anticipate that continuing from here on out. Just a tough matchup, a tough game, a weird game. You chalk this one up, you throw it out, you don't worry about it again. St. Brown got going a little bit in this game. Six catches, 70 yard. Quintez Cephas, still a thing as long as Tyrell Williams is out. Four receptions, 83 yards, five targets. I don't care. TJ Hawkinson, I know, didn't have a big game again in this one. Four receptions, 42 yards. Still had eight targets. He's still the guy. He's still the pass catcher I want to have of Detroit Lions. And he's still a top five tight end. Nothing changes there for Detroit. On the Chicago side of the ball. Boy, oh boy. So as I always said with Justin Fields, I was like, "There's this is going to be a two-part process, really, for this entire offense. Part one was getting Justin Fields to be the starter over Andy Dalton. That's happened for the first two games. Might not happen this week, but we'll get into that in a second. Second part of the process, Matt Nagy has to give up the play calling to Bill Lazor. That second part hasn't happened yet, which is why we are made to suffer, especially if you're an owner of Allen Robinson. Three catches, 63 yards on three targets, Against the Detroit Lions. I get it. You're, you looked at this game as like, if you don't turn around this game, I can't trust you and I want out. I understand. You can't get out on Allen Robinson. And unlike Miles Sanders, I'm not going to tell you to sell for pennies on a dollar. Because there is still an upside to Allen Robinson because there is still the, in my mind, the inevitable possibility. I shouldn't even call it a possibility because it's, it's an inevitable time frame. It's just a ticking clock. It's just a matter of when, not if. Matt Nagy will be forced into giving Bill Lazor back to play calling at some point. Because even in this game where they won 24 to 14 and did control, the offense still left much to be desired. Now, the running game got going. David Montgomery, 23 carries, 106 yards, two touchdowns, comes down with the knee injury. Damian Williams comes in, eight carries, 55 yards, and a touchdown, two targets, two receptions, 15 yards. I'll get into the injury of David Montgomery in a minute. Running game was excellent, and they did it off of RPO, even though Fields wasn't the one running, but it was very, very efficient. And, of course, no matter who you are, you're going to run well in Detroit. Now, Montgomery, the knee injury, the good news is, as of now, at least, doing the show, it's a hyperextended knee, which means it won't be all season. It could be maybe a month. We're still waiting the MRI results, the official results, to come back that tell us exactly what we need to know. But it's not a torn ACL. We have to wait to see if it's hyperextended or is it a sprained MCL or something of that nature. The point is this. Damian Williams, who did come out of that game supposedly with a quad injury, wound up being a thigh bruise 
expected to be fine for week five. I would expect Damian Williams for at least the next couple of weeks minimum to be the starting running back of the Chicago Bears, to be the workhorse back of the Chicago Bears. No matter what's going on in the quarterback position, no matter what Matt Nagy is doing, Damian Williams will be the number one priority pickup, without a doubt. He is the Chuba Hubbard, or Chuba Hubbard, excuse me, of this week. So when we talk about him, the waiver wire report tomorrow, guarantee you we'll be talking about Damian Williams. So that's what you have to keep in mind there. Fields played fine in this game. Definitely much better. Would expect it to be much better against Detroit compared to Cleveland. But again, he's not going to reach his potential, and therefore Allen Robinson can't reach his full potential until Bill Lazor takes over the play calling. Now, Darnell Mooney, five receptions, 125 yards, seven targets. We've been talking about this a lot. I was not going to get on the Darnell Mooney train until Justin Fields became a starting quarterback. Now that he is, Mooney's starting to show some life. But again, Nothing here is sustainable or consistent until Bill Lazor is calling the plays for the Chicago Bears. So keep that in mind before you start going bananas over Darnell Mooney. We don't even know if Andy Dalton is going to be the bench quarterback next week. He might be the starter. If he's a starter, Darnell Mooney goes back to being irrelevant, unfortunately. Let's move to another game that didn't have a lot of fantasy results, unfortunately. Uh, the game was in Minnesota. So the weather was not an issue here. 14 to seven Cleveland comes away with a very ugly win. Now, if you just look at the box score, you say like, well, this must just wound up being a very defensive game. I would argue that this was worse. This was bad offense more than it was good defense on both sides. But nevertheless, it wound up being an ugly game, which I still would say I'm not going to take much out of. It's still going to be a weird game. Nick Chubb still got his carries, 21 carries, 100 yards. Kareem Hunt was the one who got the touchdown, 14 carries, 69 yards. Actually played two more snaps than uh, Nick Chubb did in this one. Two receptions, 17 yards for Kareem Hunt. Nothing really changes there. You're playing both of those guys every single week. Nick Chubb still hasn't had his like, really huge like 100-yard touchdown performance game. It's coming. He's getting the workload. That's all you really care about. And Kareem Hunt continues to get his workload. OBJ felt like a huge disappointment and you know results wise he definitely was two receptions 27 yards seven targets but the snap count was there the rouse run was there you're fine with the seven targets this was a good matchup on paper baker mayfield played terrible in this game again this goes back to i just i saw a lot of bad offense more so than good defense out there and it just showed up on the field. OBJ did not take a step back in my opinion from a fantasy standpoint he is still a guy who is somewhere between that Top-end wide receiver three, wide receiver two range. That does not change for me at all in any capacity, just based on this one disappointing performance, you know, here. Kirk Cousins, I wasn't streaming him against the Browns, even though he's been good for fantasy purposes. Browns have a legitimate good defense. He wasn't that great. But Justin Jefferson gets the ball, but continuing back on his backtrack to greatness. Six receptions, 84 yards, a touchdown, seven targets. Adam Thielen. Now, I know, again, you're going to look at this game and say, well, this was a defensive game, not a lot to take all the offense. But Adam Thielen, three receptions, 46 yards on eight targets. No touchdowns. These are the type of games that I do think are in the cards for Adam Thielen every single week when he doesn't score because he's not a threat. At least not going to be very often going to be a threat to actually get 100 yards. He's not that seven reception for a hundred plus yard guy anymore where he has a floor 
even if he doesn't score. He's got to score. So while this game ultimately was kind of weird, I do think this is still more within the realm of consistency of an Adam Thielen when he doesn't score that touchdown. I'm not saying it's not going to happen very often because he's been scoring touchdowns for the most part this season. This is the first game he has it. But this is one of the things I get, I get a little bit worried about when it comes to an Adam Thielen. I'm not going to hit the alarm button yet. not going to tell you to hit the sell button yet on him. But I'm not going to buy low on him either, which I have seen that out there as well. KJ Osborne, box score-wise, doesn't return, but does get the targets again. Seven targets in this game. I think he's still a viable fantasy asset. I still, I still think he's somebody who's worth owning on your team. What was interesting, and my thought was last week when Osborne wasn't involved, it's because Tyler Conklin was. Well, in this game, again, box score-wise, not impressive. Four receptions, 18 yards. But Conklin still has six targets. Now, I think that goes to the running back situation of Dalvin Cook. Now, Dalvin Cook, I know on paper, had six targets. It wasn't really that high as far as what was actually catchable. Two receptions, 10 yards. He clearly was not 100%. He didn't play at all the third quarter. The good news with Dalvin Cook is that he came back in the fourth quarter and did play in the fourth quarter. So I would say that he did not suffer a setback. Therefore, he should be available against Detroit next week. Hopefully a little bit more healthy. We'll watch him in the practice reports. And you're going to lick your chops against Detroit if Dalvin Cook, as long as he's healthy, you continue to play him as an RB1. I would suspect he gets a little bit better next week and gets a little bit more involved next week. Continue to own Alexander Madison if you're the Dalvin Cook owner, just in case. But I do think you're looking at a much better week five than you saw this week. Because again, the most important thing, while it was disappointing and Dalvin Cook did hurt you because you expect the new year RB1 every single time he's out there, he did not suffer a setback because he came back in that fourth quarter and he played. So that is probably the best news you could take out of Dalvin Cook for right now. Let's talk about that Dallas-Carolina game. Okay, so now you got Dallas-Carolina. Because Sam Darnold had an okay game. It was an uneven game. He had an okay game. Two, two interceptions, two passing touchdowns. Does go over 300 yards passing again. The fantasy aspect of Sam Darnold was great because all of a sudden he had two rushing touchdowns in this game, 35 yards rushing. Sam Darnold turned into Josh Allen at some point. I, it's it's mind-boggling, but he leads the NFL in quarterback rushing touchdowns. It's insane. Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold has five rushing touchdowns through four games. More than Lamar Jackson, more than Kyler Murray, more than Josh Allen. It's Look, I don't think that's going to continue. While Sam Darnold obviously has some mobility to his game, I don't think he's going to go down as the leading rushing quarterback touchdown player, although he definitely has a shot to now, given the start. But teams are going to start to key on that RPO action near the goal line at some point this season. Right now, it's still at the point where they're just kind of just gutting for the running back and he's just waltzing in. That's going to stop at some point. But... For now, because he does have that floor where he is a threat to be a goal linebacker, especially while Christian McCaffrey's out, you got to figure they're going to give him that opportunity to do so. He's got a fantasy floor. It pains me to say it, but he does. He does. He has, he has a fantasy floor because of those rushing touchdown capabilities. Now, I know passing-wise, it wasn't bad. 300 yards and two passing touchdowns in this game, but two interceptions. He started to look more like Sam Darnold in this game from a quarterback standpoint. But from a fantasy standpoint, he continues to be a streaming option. 
Chuba Hubbard was disappointing. Not because of his carries, 13 carries, 57 yards. He was plenty efficient there. Again, I've talked about how I think this is a better Dallas defense, especially against the run. I don't think you're just going to be able to waltz all over them. What was disappointing was the passing game. Hubbard didn't take on that Mike Davis role from a year ago where he got to have that, you know, that workload of rushing and receiving, which is really what you needed him to have. And because he's explosive, you're like, well, he's got a chance to break one. Two targets, two receptions, 14 yards. Why? Rodney Smith, the undrafted rookie, five targets, five receptions, 48 yards, dominated. And it wasn't just, you know, the production. He dominated the routes run between the two. Absolutely dominated. And it wasn't that far behind Hubbard and snaps played. Now, Royce Freeman was a distant third on this team in every category. So Royce Freeman's not a thing. But apparently Rodney Smith, at least for now, is getting played like he's going to be the third down back. So even if McCaffrey misses in week five, which remains to be seen, there is reports of him being more ideal for a week six return, but they seem like they do want to try to at least give him a shot on Wednesday to practice to see if he can go week five. But assuming McCaffrey can't go this week, we got to look at Hubbard as more of a low-end RB2 who may not be involved in the passing game for week five than a guy who could be more of a high-end RB2 due to volume. Because apparently he's not going to be down there at third downs. Now, whether it's because, you know, he lacks pass protection skills, which he does, and Ronnie Smith is better at that, whatever the case may be, you can't trust that he's going to be the one getting the targets. So we have to assess that accordingly as we head into week five. That was the disappointing factor about a Hubbard. Where now, you know, McCaffrey does get re-injured or, you know, this injury doesn't go away right away or he suffers some sort of setback in some kind of capacity. Hubbard's not that guy that you picked him up to beat necessarily. Because he picked him with the idea that he's the one-for-one handcuff. And while he dominated the carries, I mean, Rodney Smith didn't even carry the ball at all in this game. You need him to get the passing down work for him to really be the fantasy asset you needed him to be. That's not going to happen. Then we have a tough situation on our hands. So something to keep an eye on. But Hubbard may be losing value even if he is a starter again next week. DJ Moore. Now, let's let's be fair. Trevon Diggs, he got a little bit banged up in this game. But even when he was in there, DJ Moore was having his way with him. 12 targets, 8 receptions, 113 yards, 2 touchdowns. You'll love to see it. Moore is a wide receiver one must play in your lineups every single week. He's playing on a whole other level this year and under Sam Darnold isn't allergic to the end zone. Like he had been in years previous too, which is always what kept him down in my book far as far as what his fantasy ceiling could be. Here's what I'll say without McCaffrey, there was definitely a concerted effort to get Robbie Anderson. The ball had 11 targets in this game, five receptions, 46 yards. Sam Darnold is not efficient when he gets him to get him the ball. And while Sam Darnold has been a better quarterback this year with Joe Brady and the Carolina Panthers than he ever was with Adam Gase, one thing has still remained. He still ain't taking deep shots. And when he does, he's not effective with them. That still has stayed the same. Which is just, it just kills Robbie Anderson's value. So Robbie Anderson was already a guy who I had on my drop last week. If you still have him, my advice is to still drop him if you need to do. That hasn't changed. We move to Dallas' side of the ball, where Ezekiel Elliott coming back to RB1 performance, looking like Ezekiel Elliott of old, 20 carries, 143 yards, a rushing touchdown. Didn't have to do anything in the passing game. Tony Pollard still got involved, 10 carries, 67 yards. I mean, still looked okay. Still going to be a guy that you consider in the flex, you know, 
in a home run threat, boomer bust type of situation, but continues to be very effective when given the ball. I'm not going to take anything away from there, but Ezekiel Elliott was the man. And the Dallas Cowboys, look, they're going to get a little bit weird from a fantasy standpoint because, because their defense is actually competent and because Ezekiel Elliott's playing better, the offensive line is healthier, they can actually run the ball. They don't have to lean on Dak Prescott to win games. 22 pass attempts in this game. 14 of 22. Now, for Prescott, he still had four passing touchdowns, so he still winds up being a QB1, but he is going to be a lower-end QB1 than you expected him to necessarily be, and it is going to affect the wide receivers. If they don't... Now, their defense, again, it's competent. It's not good. It's not great. But if they don't play against other teams that have legitimate high-scoring offenses that force the Cowboys that have to throw the ball or play against defenses that are good against stopping the run, forcing them to have to throw the ball, they're showing that they are not necessarily going to have to, and they're not necessarily going to do so just because. Something to kind of keep in mind. You might have to look at the Cowboys a little bit more game script dependent, at least upon what your expectations are. Now, you're not going to bench Dak Prescott unless you somehow have a better option. You're not going to bench an Amari Cooper who came away with an okay fantasy day. Three targets, three receptions, 69 yards. He does come away with a touchdown, which saves your fantasy day. You're not going to bench a CeeDee Lamb who is incredibly disappointing. I get it. Five targets, two receptions, 13 yards. Hasn't been really as good as you want him to be this season outside of week one anyway. I get it. It affects those guys because of that, that lack of volume. But there's going to be games where the Cowboys offense is going to have to show up. These are still very excellent players. You're still playing them in your lives every single week. Just maybe if you go into the game and you have, you know what, this game script can go a certain way, maybe lower your expectations and play other players in your lineup accordingly to make up for that. But it may not be this automatic, you know, skies high, up-tempo, throw the ball until the Cows come home offense because it doesn't have to be anymore, at least not so far this year. Dalton Schultz is somebody that I will now get on. The, I wasn't on the bandwagon last week because Blake Jarwin was still playing too much. And, you know, again, it's a tight end who's another guy who's still in the streaming category, and he still is for me, but it's been two weeks in a row now. The biggest thing for me is that there's two weeks in a row where he's now dominated the snap count and routes run over Blake Jarwin, looking like he has become the starting tight end. So now there's a little bit more to sink your teeth into. I don't think he's the guy who's actually in a tight end committee anymore. I will say this, Michael Gallup, while he's not expected to come back week five, is still expecting someone who's a week or two away. If that winds up being the case, then I think Dalton Schultz will be the guy who suffers the most as a result to that. And as you see here, there might not always be volume for everybody to eat on top of it to begin with. So I do wonder how fantasy relevant he will be once Michael Gallup returns. But until that point, I think Schultz is somebody you consider in your tight end streaming territory. Last game, we're not going to take too much time on it. But it was Houston and the Buffalo Bills, 40 to 0. This game was never in question. Josh Allen's my QB1. Obviously, not going to need to finish that way. Didn't have to finish that way. And while it was a game, look, with the Bills, you never know because the Bills might throw just to throw because that's what they do is they throw. So if you look at this match against the Houston Texans, obviously, you're looking your chops at it. What wound up happening is they just dominated so much on defense, so much on offense. It just didn't matter. And Allen only wound up throwing the ball 29 times in this game. Part of it had to do with he had an interception on the first drive. I think we took it away some fantasy points 
Still gets two touchdowns, still gets 41 yards rushing, still is a QB, finishes inside the top 10 of QBs, but just not the big number one overall performance you're hoping for after it looked like the offense got going and they're playing against Houston this week. Again, it was a testament of their defense, which I told you guys to play because Davis Mills is a terrible quarterback. 11 21, 87 yards, four interceptions. And there was never a threat on the Houston side of the ball. There just wasn't. Devin Singletary, Zach Moss. I had them both as RB3s. Zach Moss, 14 carries, 61 yards, a rushing touchdown with Devin Singletary getting 14 carries for 79 yards. Stephon Diggs told you guys last week he this was going to be the last week you could buy a low on him because he was going to get back on track against Houston. And he did. Seven receptions, 114 yards. The only thing he didn't do was score. We still had 10 targets in a game in which Josh Allen threw the ball 29 times. Stephon Diggs still saw double-digit targets. I know Emmanuel Sanders was fine. Five receptions, 74 yards. I know Cole Beasley was a disappointment. Two receptions, 16 yards. When they play against teams that they actually have to compete and go back and forth with, the amount of times they throw, I think you can still play Sanders and Cole Beasley as wide receiver three, especially in PPR leagues. Dawson Knox, of course, the huge fantasy day. He's the one who gets the two touchdowns, five receptions, 37 yards, eight targets. Again, he is lumped in the same category as a Dalton Schultz, maybe a little bit higher than a Max Williams. But again, a guy who's going to be in that 10 to 18 area who's a streaming tight end. Now, I like Dawson Knox. I've always liked his talent. There's only a question of could he stay healthy? Can he stay involved? I would say he can stay involved because it's such a high-volume offense. Still not expecting him to finish inside the top 12 every single week, but he's a guy you can put in the mix. He's a guy you should own, especially if you're looking for tight ends. He's a guy you can stream. As long as he's healthy and getting more talented, they have they have enough volume for four guys to eat. So Dawson Knox is not going to necessarily get ripped out of there unless he gets hurt. Zach Moss, Devin Singletary continue to be RB3s, matchup-dependent RB3s for me, game script RB3s for me. Not something you want to ride home about. So just keep that in mind as well. On Houston, there's only one thing to talk about. That's Brandon Cooks. Five receptions, 47 yards. He had seven targets in this game. I get it. It was disappointing. But I told you guys, lower your expectations going into it. Playing against Travis White. New Davis Mills was going to look really mortal against the Buffalo Bills defense because he's not good. And against better defenses, and they play another good defense next week. This is what you have to do. Brandon Cooks becomes more of a wide receiver three because the offense around him is so putrid. So when they actually play against competent to good defenses, it's going to look like they ran into a buzzsaw rather than what we saw the first three weeks, which is where they could kind of be somewhat competent because they weren't playing against really good teams yet. So this is what you have to expect moving forward. That's going to do it for today's show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys know what to do moving forward. We'll be back tomorrow from 12 to 1. Make sure you check us out. We'll have the Silly Night, the Monday Night Recap, along with the Waiver Wire Report. So make sure you tune in to that. Subscribe to us on our YouTube channel, the MD Saints Football Show channel. Make sure you hit us up on social media at Show. Follow us on our favorite pod streaming app, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever. And we'll be back from 7 to 8 on Tuesday on the Unhinged Radio Network. Guys, take care. Enjoy. We'll see you all tomorrow. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash teamready. Ready.